0: Welcome to The Brew Files from Experimental Brewing, our quaint-hit series where we focus on fundamental aspects of brewing, including styles, techniques, and recipes. More brew, more flavor, more stories, less time, and less ukulele. On this episode, we're talking about Grisette, or as I like to think of it, the city cousin to saison's country mouse. And we're talking with the next bird in the style, but before we get there, a real quick message from our sponsors... Do you own a copy of John Palmer's How to Brew? If so, you know it's one of those truly indispensable resources for brewers. Well, it's time to replace that old dog-eared copy, because our friends at Brewers Publications have just published the fourth edition of How to Brew, and it's a totally new book. The new How to Brew clocks in at 600 pages, and every chapter has been updated and expanded, and there are five totally new chapters to boot. So grab your copy at your preferred beer book vendor, or buy it from the Brewers Association store if you want to get the book, and support craft breweries at the same time. More info at BrewersPublications.com.
1: Family owned Atlantic Brew Supply is the biggest homebrew shop in the Southeast. No gimmicks, no multinational corporate overlords, and no BS. Unique ingredients from local suppliers, including malt from neighboring artisan malt house Epiphany Craft malts and award winning recipe kits, including the Toll, Raleigh Brewing Company's GABF winning Imperial Oatmeal Stout. Plus, we've got pro level equipment and the best in cask supply equipment from sister companies ABS Commercial and Cask Supply. Malts, extracts, and more, all available by the ounce, an on site calculator to help you craft your best brew, same day order processing, and guaranteed two day shipping for East Coast customers. Get 15% off your first order when you use the coupon code BREWFILES at checkout at Atlantic Brew Supply.
0: Welcome back, everybody. Like I said, today we're going to take a little bit of time to talk about a sort of lesser known style, you know, but one that I think is equally important and equally good, uh, Grisette. And in order to do that, because I'm a Saison guy and I know a lot about Saisons, but Grisette's a little bit more foreign and weird to me in terms of my experience, I decided we were going to call in some backup and I could think of no other person to call in than Dave. Dave, introduce yourself to everybody.
2: Hey, Drew. So yeah, I'm Dave Jansen. Thanks for having me on today. Um, I've, uh, I've been homebrewing for about 10 years and, and got into Grisette via Saison, so probably similar to yourself. So I, I got into Saison maybe around 2009, both drinking it and brewing it, and I had a Saison DuPont. I was like, this is amazing. I, I, need to, I need to have more of this. I need to learn more about this. And then, then got into grizette a couple of years ago as I started to see that name pop up more and more.
0: What prompted your initial explorations of grisette?
2: Uh Initially, I saw breweries making Grisettes, and and I knew that grizette had some sort of relation to saison, as as you're mentioning. And but I saw these breweries making Grisettes, and and they didn't seem very grizetty. And these are breweries local to me, also breweries in Belgium, breweries across the U.S. And so I saw these Grisettes popping up, and I was thinking to myself, well, that's not a grizette. That's that's not a grizette either, and. And then I was wondering, am I wrong or are they wrong? What What is Grisette? That kind of prompted this whole thing, because if you go around looking for information, there's really not a lot out there.
0: Well, and so now you've been collecting information and putting it out there on, under your blog. And what's your blog for everybody who doesn't know?
2: Yeah, cool, thanks. Thanks for, I should have mentioned that before. So uh, if I say my blog like somebody that doesn't speak French, which is, for the most part, myself, it would be Hors Category Brewing, H-O-R-S, and then category with an I-E, brewing. If you were a French speaker, it would be something more along the lines of or Categorie, but I've been talking about Grazette on the blog and getting more into Belgian history in general, and that's that's been a good outlet for for some of this research.
0: And you've been speaking, I think. What you've spoken at NHC or HomebrewCon, and you're speaking in other places too, right?
2: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so I've I spoke at NHC. Uh, I've done a couple podcast interviews here and there. Spoken with some some local and and semi local homebrew clubs. So I, I live in Victoria, which is near Vancouver in in Canada. I went over to to Vancouver to speak to the, that homebrew club. And then in a couple of weeks, I'll be speaking in Amsterdam at a beer festival there called Carnival Britannomyces that I'm pretty stoked to go over and be involved with.
0: That's fairly impressive. Here you are, a North American brewer, fascinated with a Belgian style, and you're actually getting shipped over there to go talk about the local <laughs> style to them.
2: <laughs> yeah, it is a pretty funny situation. And I'm I feel a bit goofy doing it. Like, yeah, here's me, the North American, coming over to to continental europe to tell you about continental european beer
0: oh yeah you got you got to walk in there with that uh sort of big north american swagger and go all right listen up i know what i'm talking about
2: <laughs> that's right i i'm the boss of this
0: <laughs> We're, win friends in the brewing world that way that's a good thing to do
2: <laughs> no, I won't be doing any of that. I'll be it'll be a pretty soft spoken presentation, I think.
1: <laughs>
0: so, why don't we just dig in? Let's let's talk about the style. You know, as I alluded to in, in the intro, a lot of people kind of think of grizzette as being related to Saison, city versus country and everything else, but break it down for us and tell us what you think of the style.
2: I think a good way to start with grizzette, and this is is true of Belgian beer in a lot of ways as a whole, but I think the best way to think about Grisette is to think of it as a family of beers rather than the, the typical uh, North American or English construct of a distinct style because there's multiple different levels of Grisette. So it's really beers of a family that have similar attributes. And then moving in from there, the the fundamental defining character of Grisette, from what I've seen, is, well, I guess it, one of the fundamental defining characters is that it's a wheat beer. So if you were to compare Grisette to, say, Cezanne, Cezanne could be 100% barley. It could be a mixture of barley and wheat, barley and rye, barley and oats, other local grains you might have. And Grisette seems a little bit more defined than that. Uh, a barley-based beer with wheat added to it. Generally, Grisettes were not beers meant for aging. And and so again, drawing this comparison to Cezanne, if you were to compare grizette and saison, many of the differences... I think can be traced back to that one point that Grisette on the whole is a beer that's meant to be served and consumed fairly fresh whereas Saison is a beer built for aging. Because of that in a lot of different ways as we we'll get into this later as we deconstruct recipes of Grisettes, a lot of the decisions about those recipes relate to it being a softer beer than Saison and a beer that's ready to drink sooner than Saison.
0: So when you say softer you mean what like less of the sort of those distinctive yeast characters less phenols yeah, less overt hop character, or are there other pieces?
2: Yeah, a whole range of pieces. So the, the ones you mentioned is it's probably going to be less bitter than than saison. At least if you took a saison younger than it would have traditionally been served historically. If you took a saison and Grisette, the saison would use higher hopping rates. It likely would be higher gravity, either comparable gravity or or possibly slightly higher. Saisons historically would have uh, maybe some acidity or some more developer Tanner Micey's character, Grisette likely wouldn't have much of that, and maybe a more neutral yeast, as you mentioned, as well. So in a lot of different ways, it's it's uh, a softer beer than saison.
0: It's designed for the now, not for the later.
2: Absolutely, and I think that's the best way to, to think about Grisette as a whole. There are exceptions to that, but that, I think, sums up most Grisettes.
0: Okay, so now you talked about how you had discovered saison, and then you started to see these Grisettes popping up in your local area. And then starting to wonder, okay, well, this doesn't match what I know. What drew you into that world of Grisette to decide that I'm now going to troll and find more information, and actually try and uncover, you know, really what the proper boundaries of Grisette?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. I I got into it by seeing these other brewers making grizette, and at the time I had been making a lot of saisons and and having some success uh, in brewing them, and felt like I, I knew a fair amount about saison by going to Belgium and visiting brewers and talking with them and reading everything I could find. So I I looked for everything I could find about Grisette uh, initially, and that basically is is two or three books in the English language, all fairly recent, uh, and very good books, but not a lot of information in them about Grazette, because Grisette's not the focus of those books. And the information I saw on those books seemed inconsistent with, with the sorts of Grisettes that I was seeing brewed around, where I was seeing maybe 100% Brett Grisettes, or Grisettes with with strong fruiting or herbing and spicing or sour grisettes or grisettes with a, a whole range of, of strange grains. And I thought, well, this, this seems kind of weird. And so I, I wanted to to look for as much as I could find to educate myself and, and to either correct my misunderstanding of grisette or, or feel like I actually had the tools to say, Hey, that's not really a grisette that, um, that hundred percent brett beer hopped with mosaic. That's like 50 IBUs. Maybe that's not a grisette and maybe that's just a bread IPA.
0: Well, let's face it. I think sometimes brewers choose a name because they're inspired by a style or they think the name sounds cool. And so hey, grisette hey that sounds unique and exotic. You know, I'll do something like that.
2: Yeah, so I think it was it was like exploiting the name as a catchphrase to try to sell the beer rather than having any resemblance to what Grisette was.
0: Okay, so you get into the style, you're doing research. And obviously, I think one of the books that you're referring to is like farmhouse sales by Markowski. Absolutely. yeah, And it's a great book. But yeah, you're right. I mean, Grisette's in there for a tiny, tiny part of the whole book. And it's just enough to make you go, "Oh, that sounds kind of interesting." And then you're left going, "Okay, now what?"
2: Totally, just like it piques your interest. There's a couple pages in Farmhouse Sales, and then there's a couple pages also in um, in Brewing with Wheat. So it's like, I think it's page one thirty-one to one thirty-three in Farmhouse Sales, and, and two different pages in, in Brewing with Wheat. It's like that's it. Even within those tiny bits of information, there's it's there's internal contradictions, and and that's because the sources that our reference to produce that information are contradictory. So we, we get like four pages or three pages of, of information about Gazette. There's contradictions even within those three pages. And, and so there's not a lot to go off of.
0: We have the situation where here in the U.S., at least in English, we don't have a lot of information about it. Now, how did you go about digging into actually finding more?
2: Great. So I, at the time, I, I, so I got into this in spring 2015. I, this is when I started seeing more and more of these Gazettes popping up. I moved to Europe fall 2015 for a, a temporary work stay in Germany. And so with that stay, I was in Europe. I was going to Belgium as often as I could because I, I didn't make a big secret of this. The, the main reason I took the job in Germany was that it was close to Belgium. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so the Germans uh, maybe weren't so happy about that.
0: I was going to say, yeah, did the Germans get stink eye as you came uh, racing back across the border smelling like non-Reinhut's Kabut compliant beer?
2: All the time. I loved it. I loved Showing the Germans how the Reinheitsgebot is not what they think it is, and how certain beers in Germany don't follow the original Reinheitsgebot. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, that was that was a good time, and they never agreed with me on what the definition of beer was.
0: So, in other words, you're, you've always been about going over to Europe and winning friends.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's true. It was good natured in Germany. It was I wasn't just going up to random beer drinkers and starting fights. It was the guys that I worked with that we were they were hassling me, and I was hassling them back. <laughs> so we're in Germany.
0: We, we have proximity to Belgium. We have lots of travel time in Belgium.
2: That's right. So I'm, I'm in Belgium at, at least once a month, every month, making some good personal connections in Belgium. And that's probably where it all started, that I, that I met some friends in Belgium that, that had a shared interest in Belgian beer history and knew other people that were interested in Belgian beer history. And they pointed me towards where I could find some more sources. So I started digging through this great Belgian journal, Le Petit Journal de Brasseur, which is just compiling a year's worth of, of kind of question and answer and, and short uh, written topics on on the whole of the brewing industry in Belgium uh, and abroad. Digging through that, that gave me some more information and especially general context for Belgian brewing at the time. And so, so then I started to put some of that together and write about it and and identify some of the the key contradictions I was seeing and try to solve those. Uh, and then it really all all got a giant jump forward when I was put in touch with this this Belgian fellow with a, a great library, Thierry Van Looenhoet and he's got a great library of books and he happened to have the the one book that was ever written focusing on Grisette. so I was able to look through that a bit and and that's really where I, I put all this together
0: don't don't leave us hanging what's the what's the mystery
2: book <laughs> so it's a it's a book by the author is pelsett and it's like from the 1870s it's a a couple hundred pages on brewing Grisette and pale beers and honestly there's not a whole lot of information in there it's it's a lot of complicated stuff and and some convoluted. I'm, I don't speak French really very well, so so some convoluted language that I don't necessarily understand, and and like pages and pages on how to malt barley in if your barley sucks, which is ridiculous. And then like one page on oh add these hops.
0: Well, I mean, hey, look if you have a if you have a bunch of lousy barley, having hundreds of pages on how to make something out of it, I don't think that's ridiculous. But yeah, from our point of view, hey, why not just go get the wireman stuff or dingaman stuff? You're fine.
2: That's a good way to think about it. It was, a, it was like a whole a whole picture of brewing book. So taking the raw grain and malting it got much more attention than say fermentation or mashing or or things like that or, or hopping. So there's a lot of great information in there for people that are growing and and malting their own grains, but not as much information for somebody that has access to all these grains and just wants to, to brew a grisette.
0: Well it does point out how lucky we are to live in a day and age when we've sort of outsourced that to people who are far more confident than we are.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Great. So that really like, that answered the questions I had. And that's the bulk of the information out there about Grisette is in that book, which in itself presents some problems because it's one point in time and it's it's one guy's writing about it. So that might not represent the variety of different Grisettes brewed in different areas, as well as Grisettes brewed through time. But it does have a, uh, a lot of information compared to previously what was out there. And it's the same source that you see quoted in Farmhouse Ales and and brewing with wheat. So some of the information, the key information has already been pulled out in those texts, but there is, there's some other good stuff in there.
0: Why don't we get into some of the good stuff, talk a little bit about the history of the style, because like with Cezanne, there's a little bit of, you know, the history legend that goes along with it about miner's beers and uh, why the greedy name and what, what can you drop us that you know from your digging?
2: So starting with what I definitely know, the earliest mention of Grisette I've seen is 1812. And that was referring to a brewery in the Haino province of Belgium, so the same area that Cézanne originates from. And it was a brewery that, at least locally, was was known for making this Grisette and sending it around. From that, I, I can say Grisette starts at the very latest around 1800. And if this brewery was already known for Grisette by 1812, it's probably been going a little bit longer than that. So I'm, I'm guessing the late 1700s is the start for Grisette, which lines up nicely with the Industrial Revolution. And Grisette, based on the legend, as you mentioned, is a, is a beer tied to tied to this industry. It's, it's less about farming and more about mining. And so I haven't seen a whole lot of information on the legend side, partly because that's not what I've been looking for. I've been looking for information on how to make it as a beer rather than its place in belgian culture but it does the the towns and the the breweries that are making grisettes are uh, industrial towns are are areas in in this mining and steel manufacturing region of belgium that was was quite prosperous so outside of england this region of belgium was was the center of the industrial revolution so that the second spot within europe as a whole and in the primary spot within continental europe uh, really a, a major hub of activity and and it would make sense that workers would want this beer and and these workers might be sooty or they might be served by people in gray dresses or things like that. So this is all part of the legend that I, I can't really substantiate or refute.
0: Again, part of the story is the, oh, well, it was named for the, the color of the dresses of the serving girls who would bring the beer to the workers.
2: Yeah. These
0: little gray dresses.
2: Exactly. I, I'm inclined, I mean, per, that could possibly be true. I don't know. I, I'm inclined to believe that that doesn't have to be true for the name Grisette to be given. As a as a wheat beer that's fairly pale it can take on kind of a grayish color and and in the around 1900 in the belgian literature it does pop up that a brewer is making some beer not a grisette and they're making a beer and they're like hey my beer is kind of gray I'm like what's up with that it's a term that's used at the time in the area to describe a certain color of beer that maybe maybe in north america we wouldn't think to call beers gray but it is somewhere between say like a white and an amber you pass through this this white color that's not white and so maybe that's what they're saying for gray so i, I think that gray the, the gray part of grisette could be unrelated to uh sooty-faced miners or serving girls if
0: you're talking kind of like a wheat haze that could possibly have oxidation characters or other things yeah, i mean you can start to see colors i mean we see that nowadays with the new uh hazy juicy ipa trend as well but now that makes me wonder you know because you mentioned white ales it almost seems like, and I imagine we'll get into this a little bit later, that there's an argument that can be made that Grisette is another branch of the whole white ale family that we now think of as like mostly just being Whitbeer. But there were a bunch of white ales
2: at the time. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really astute observation. And I would say that Grisette falls somewhere between what we think of as a, as a Belgian white ale and what we think of as a Saison. Like I think Grisette has bridges to both of those, both of those islands.
0: Now, Grisette is there. It's heavily associated legendarily with the working class. And as you said, you know, you see your first mentions of this in 1812 with the rise of the Industrial Revolution. But how does this fade into obscurity? You know, how does this uh, fade away from the, the sort of cultural epicenter that it was down there around Haino and Shawa and all those?
2: As Grisette, Gazette's right, very popular. It's um, it's a, a region of, of industry and activity. So the region's very prosperous. Uh, and and after the World War, the the industry really collapses completely? And and even to this day, if you go to to that region of of southern Belgium or the just across the border, that region of northern France is it's economically not the not the best area. Um, and so historically, for much of Belgium's history, the south was the prosperous part of Belgium. And now that's not the case. Now it's the north. And and so as this as this industry collapses, Grisette lines up coincidentally or or by causation with that collapse, which is kind of interesting if Grisette is framed as a beer that is tied to this industry. It's there when the industry's there and it leaves when the industry leaves. So in the, around 1950 1960 we see grisette disappearing
0: was it just being replaced by pilsner and what i mean i always kind of think of that area of belgium as kind of being very similar to the to the u.s rust belt
2: mm-hmm, absolutely yeah
0: now instead of white ale you know you're starting to see you know stella and Haver and all those you know pilsner type beers right
2: that's exactly right that the pressure of imported beer is is non-trivial and really changes the beer scene of the area and so yeah you do see a a rise of Pilsner occurring with this fall of Gazette.
0: You have a point about, we associate it as this working class beer, we associate it with, you know, sort of the minor worker type thing, but I know you discovered some stuff about price as well that kind of plays against that legend.
2: Yeah, so in this digging through historic sources, I was looking at anything I could find, and I, I came across some old newspapers that would have advertisements from the brewers saying, hey, I've got these beers, these are the prices that I'll sell them to you at. And so, looking through these old newspapers at around 1900, Grisette's not necessarily an inexpensive beer. It's not. It's not the beer that the the working class would be ordering necessarily. They might be ordering uh, a lower strength beer, like a, a house strength beer or a, a standard brown beer. And and so, comparative prices is probably more meaningful than just saying it costs this many cents for a liter. But comparatively, Grisette might be. Twice the cost of a of a, ta- or a house beer, and it might be 50% more than than a normal brown beer. And so, in the cafes at around 1900, maybe people are drinking this kind of normal brune. You're probably unlikely to pay 50% more per glass to drink grisette. So this could be because grisette as a whole migrated up to this higher class, and I I think that might not be accurate. Or it could be because grisette's a a category of beer rather than a distinct style. There was an element of grisette that was a higher class beer. And that might be the element that, that brewers would choose to pay money to advertise in newspapers rather than advertising their cheap beer. But either way, Grisettes, Grisette's kind of falls to the middle of the spectrum or sometimes even on the higher end of the spectrum of what a brewery would offer as their beers. So it's definitely not the cheap beer.
0: Why don't we talk a, a little bit about those those variants? So as you said, Grisette was more of a family than this sort of just monolithic style that we tend to think of. So uh, can you walk us through what the what the different members of that family were, because right? I'm assuming they're uh, strength-based.
2: So they're, they are strength-based. And and I would say there's three core members and one sort of ancillary member. So the three core members of Grisette are a young or ordinary Grisette, a Grisette de saison, and a superior Grisette. So the young ordinary Grisette, I think that's what we tend to picture today as a Grisette, and and probably also was the common Grisette. That's brewed year-round and its lower strength. Then there's a Grisette de saison, which is brewed in, in the wintertime, Possibly some of those are intended for aging uh, a little bit longer, maybe not as long as Saison, but maybe they would be aged a little bit more. And so that's a bit stronger. And then Superior Grisette, the highest strength of this, that's a beer that would, would have been higher hopped, maybe higher quality hops. The brewers would reserve their high quality hops for that beer. And that's a bit stronger. And then when the Superior Grisette was brewed, the later runnings, wouldn't be mixed in in order to preserve that high gravity so the later runnings would go off to make this this table beer which in its grain composition in the grist is exactly the same as grisette because it's just the later runnings of a grisette so that would be sort of the ancillary member is this this super low strength table beer that probably wouldn't even have the grisette name necessarily but but was brewed concurrently with making a grisette when you're
0: talking these four styles. I assume that the table beer would probably have been around 2% when all is said's done.
2: Yeah, something like that's probably a, a reasonable way to think about it. Yeah, about 2%. And then the Ordinary or Young Grisette, probably on the order of 4%, maybe a starting gravity in the high 1030s to low 1040s. Mm-hmm. Uh, mid to high 1030s to low 1040s. And then Grisette de Saison would pick up from there, so starting gravity in the in the low, mid 1040s up to about maybe 1050 or so. so. So that's coming in maybe a bit over 5%. And then the Superior because would would probably have a gravity above 1050, maybe 6-ish percent, maybe 7%. And so that's, yeah, that's that's kind of how I would guess to break them down. I haven't seen a completely unambiguous, explicit listing of gravities, but but based on what I've seen, I, I think that's probably about accurate.
0: Well, and, and I think unless you're in Germany where it gets uh, modified by law, you're not going to see that sort of thing.
2: Exactly, yeah. That's a good point.
0: One thing that strikes me uh, funny is that we always tend to see, I think, here in the U.S., if people are doing anything along these traditional styles, we always push high because, you know, as you were saying, the superior starts at the 1050s and goes up. Mm-hmm. I can't think of very many grisettes I've seen there down below that. American brewers seem to have the inclination to just step on the gas and say, you know what, we're going for 1065.
2: Yeah, totally. <laughs> You're right. and that So that, I think, is is not the most accurate way to approach grisette.
0: <laughs> well, now we've got our different classes,
2: of uh, mm-hmm. grisette and
0: you're right i mean these would have had different price points different customer bases uh different mm-hmm. taxation rates because that always plays into the picture on beer let's talk about okay how do we go about making something in this family of beer you know walk us through like what the ingredients would be
2: yeah cool okay so i mentioned before that Grizette is a wheat beer so uh, that's one of its defining characteristics is that it's it's always described as a as a wheat beer it doesn't actually necessarily take a lot of wheat to make a beer a wheat beer uh, at least according to the way that it's described in the in the old belgian literature so i'd say about 10 to 15 percent wheat that's malted wheat and that's fairly important and that's a distinction between maybe the the modern day belgian wheat so that the wheat would be would have been malted wheat and that's made very clear and then the the balance of that would be barley so uh 90 to 85 percent malted barley the wheat is described as being a chitted wheat. That specific phrase isn't used, but the the description of when to stop the malting is would basically make it a chitted wheat. So what that is is a grain that's been just barely sprouted, and right when that right when the shoots are starting to show, then the wheat is killed uh, or the grain is killed, and and it's not allowed to fully to fully be modified while sprouting. So the maltster would would cut that modification short. And so you end up with a very under-modified grain.
0: So like in comparison to modern wheat malt that you might get from, say, Canada or Germany, it'd be less modified and less further along in the malting process. So we're getting stuff that's been more converted.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And so there is there is one large commercial maltster that I've seen cheated wheat from at Chateau Malting, and that's a Belgian company. So if a brewer really wanted to, to make the most grisette-y grisette they could, then they could try to source some of that cheated wheat. Another way to do it, I think, would be to to blend some of that malted wheat with flaked wheat to, to kind of decrease the the net modification of, of wheat.
0: So take a, take a little bit of your converted wheat take, and take a little raw wheat or uh, not necessarily raw, but at least you know processed wheat, but not malted. Blend those together.
2: Boom. Yeah, I think that'd be a good way to go about it. So I've definitely done that in my recipes. I, I do have some chitted wheat waiting for me. I've got a, a local maltster friend that he's forgotten more about malting than, than I'll ever know, or more about malt than I'll ever know. And every time I talk to him I I learn a whole bunch. And he's made some chitted wheat for me that I'm excited to try out later this summer. But previously I've I've just been blending flaked wheat and malted wheat. Okay, so then the barley historically there's a little bit of a of an ambiguity to which barley would be used. Some sources say spring barley, other sources say winter barley. I I think um in the modern day, it probably doesn't matter too much. Uh, historically in Belgium, the winter barley was was thought of as a superior grain, but also possibly a bit of a rougher grain. And so I think for historic grisette, spring barley would have been appropriate, uh, and that was maybe a bit softer. Of course, historically, these are all six-row grains um, rather than the modern two rows. So that's that's a grist, the malted wheat and the malted barley. Very simple. Yep. Yeah, very simple. And I think, I mean, if, if you wanted to play with it in the modern world, I think you could, I don't think it'd be a disaster to add other grains to it. But the more those other grains have an impact, the less grisette-y that grisette is, uh, and maybe the the more it should be called something else. There's there's other beer styles that that allow for that more openness of the grist, or you could just not brew to style and and kind of make up your own stuff. And and so I don't think I don't think that it you should be prohibited from calling a beer grisette if you use oats or something else in it. But a, but the more the more of an impact that those have, the less. That reflects Grisette, I think.
0: And suddenly the question becomes, is this Theseus is a Grisette?
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: Sorry, I have to drop a a mythology reference every once in a while. (laughs) <laughs> all right so we got the we got the gross let's get into the mash because i'm i know old school belgian mashes mashes were multi step and complicated and they would look down on us for our single infusion rest these days
2: yeah <laughs> yeah so that that's exactly right the old school belgian mash would be would be pretty complicated kind of a classic belgian mash i think would be appropriate so starting on the cool side somewhere in the range of 40 to 50 celsius maybe like 45 celsius probably a good starting point so that's 113 fahrenheit and then taking that up through uh, a sort of protein rest in the, the low to mid 50s Celsius, so something like 125 to 130 Fahrenheit, taking that up to a low-sacrification rest, maybe 65 Celsius, which is 149 Fahrenheit, and then probably a high-sacrification rest, something around 70 Celsius or, or 158 Fahrenheit. So that's kind of like a classic Belgian approach. Maybe that later step would be a little bit hotter, like 72 or 161, 162 or uh, turbid mashing was also fairly common for for historic Belgian beers, at least much more common than, than now. Now we think of turbid mashing as only being a lambic process, but there's, there's records of turbid mashing being used for general Belgian beers, turbid mashing being used for beers to guard in northern France. Um, so it was a, a style of brewing that. Or a, a mashing process that that was much more prevalent than what we'd see today. So I think turbid mashing would have been totally appropriate for Grisette.
0: Well, and it would make some sense too with the whole possible origin, of the gray term.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Some yeah. extra yeah. extra
0: starch in your in, in your beer.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah,
0: we get the mash. We got our multi-step. By the way, that that multi-step actually sounds very similar to what I saw at Brasserie Vapour when they were doing their saison Pipe.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Kind of interesting that it's still around. Now let's get into the hops. Uh, how much hops? When the hops? And what sort of hops?
2: Yeah, cool. All right. All great questions. So historically, again, I guess we're kind of blending history and modern brewing, but historically the the hops would probably be grown in Belgium. And so either coming from the Haino region, which, which wasn't known for its hop quality, or coming from the good hop growing regions of Belgium, which are still the modern day hop growing regions of Belgium. So the modern primary one of these is is out towards the western coast, Poparinga, and that's near, say, West Blatter. And so, people probably have heard of that region.
0: Yeah, and, and Watu
2: and absolutely, yeah. So there's there's still quite a few hop fields out there, uh, or Alst, which is. Um, Near Brussels, a bit uh, west, northwest of Brussels, uh, maybe just straight west. But anyway, uh, on the western side of, of Brussels, just across the provincial boundary from um, from the region that you'd find Lambic in, and so so these are the two kind of good hop growing regions of Belgium. Outside of that, the hops could have been of English origin or or Czech origin if you really wanted to use some some more expensive, better hops. And going back to the categories of Grisette. The higher categories of Gazette would probably have used better hops. So maybe saving some Czech hops or some English hops for those uh, would have been common. German hops as well, although uh, I've seen other sources say that German hops were not thought to be the best hops to use because they were too potent, <laughs> um, which which is kind of funny to say, like, don't use these hops, they're too good. But um,
0: that would make some sense if you're worried about a beer that you're supposed to basically get out of the out of the brewery as fast as possible and into people's mouths.
2: That's right. Yeah. Yeah so so maybe in some of the the stronger grisettes that maybe would be aged a bit longer and and hopping rates for the ordinary grisette there's a bit of a difference in the in the literature if you brew in the winter or the summer. So you'd hop a little bit higher in the summer. You'd um, you'd make it a slightly higher gravity in the summer. But on the order of about four grams per liter, which is about half an ounce per gallon of hops, as a total hopping rate, I think is about right. I tend to split them evenly between the bitter and the finish. Maybe that's taking too much of a modern approach with more finishing hops, because that's definitely supposed to have a hop aroma. So I think there would be some sort of finishing hop as well.
0: How much do you feel like you would have for say a five gallon batch
2: yeah so so for a five gallon batch you'd use about two and a half ounces of hops as your as your total hopping load and those would be split um, between between bittering and and flavoring for this is for a normal ordinary grizzette, or you'd use somewhere in the range of of 80 grams of total hops for like a normal five gallon batch
0: and what are you looking for in terms of ivu ratios here you know like to the to the gravity right we talked like ordinaries down in the the 1030s low 1040s then Mm -hmm. the saison version is up up to 1050 and then the superior is over 1050 but what are we looking at in terms of ibu levels in comparison and i know it's gonna be hard to drag out of historical records but
2: (laughs) absolutely yeah the ibu is not necessarily measured historically and and as you shift from historic hops to modern hops you're going to be getting some bitterness from different components so maybe less beta acid uh less tannin and uh and more alpha acid in terms of your perception of bitterness but i think I think slightly on the on the lower side of of 1 BU to to GU is probably about right. So I think I usually shoot for if if I'm making an ordinary gazette and I'm shooting for an OG of around 1035 which I think might actually be a bit on the low end of the range. I think it's an acceptable gravity but I think that you could make an ordinary gazette stronger than that as well. I'll probably shoot for about 30-ish IBUs on a 1035 beer.
0: So we're not at IPA levels of hopping, but we're not that far off. We're kind of in pale ale ranges.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really good way to, to think about it. And I haven't mentioned pale ale be- so far, and I'm, I'm glad you did, that, you know, in some ways Gazette is, is not too different from some modern Belgian pale ales that you might find. A beer with some hop flavor, with some bitterness. That's uh, that's a quicker turnaround and fairly refreshing to drink.
0: Like a lower strength teconic but with some wit elements to it mm-hmm. and saison elements. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, th- th- this once again goes back to the fact that the Belgians and styles are not necessarily as Teutonically in lockstep, shall we say, <laughs> as uh, some other brewing countries.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And now we've got our we got our hops. I know historically Belgian beers and a lot of. Other continental beers had long boils. Are we seeing the same thing with the Grisette?
2: Yeah, I think it would be typical to see the same sort of thing for Grisette. So a multi-hour boil, I think, I think would be appropriate and, and fairly standard for this sort of beer.
0: Yeah, well, if you're if you're going for sort of that historical approach,
2: yeah, absolutely. I don't think it's necessarily mandatory if you want to. Yeah, I, mean, I don't. I usually do about a sixty to ninety minute boil when I brew Grisettes now. So I don't think you have to do it, but historically, absolutely, a yeah, long boil.
0: And then that leaves us to the last piece, which is the yeast and how we run our fermentation.
2: This, I think, is, uh, when when people ask me questions about Grisette, this tends to be the, the biggest question in general, and also the biggest question I can't answer. So I, I guess I'll frame this from what I absolutely know, moving towards the things that I know with less and less certainty. So I absolutely know, based on the way Grisette's described as a beer, that it was an ale. And that's not to say that there was never, ever in the history of Grisette, uh, Grisette-brewed with lager yeast, but... But Grisette's an ale. Uh, there are comparisons made between Grisettes and Bavarian lagers in terms of, uh, in, well, actually, in terms of I don't know what, in, maybe in terms of resulting flavor profile, maybe in terms of the role that beer would play in the average drinking, so as like a refreshing, crisp beer. But anyway, uh, definitely an ale yeast, as far as, as definite as I'll be about anything. <laughs> ale yeast, based on the time of, of brewing Grisette and the fact that it was an ale yeast, it almost certainly had contamination from other microbes uh, because at that time ale fermentation was not pure culture fermentation so brattanomyces yeast, uh, maybe lactic acid bacteria are very likely present in the culture that is being reused to to brew grisette. but as we've discussed grazet's generally a beer to be drank fresh i think it's unlikely that that those organisms would have much of an impact so this is why when i see a sour a grazet that's that's very sour i i think well that's not very grisettey because, based on the hopping rate of grisette and the turnaround time of grisette, it's unlikely that acidity would have much of an impact.
0: Yeah. So, in other words, don't get don't get too enamored of your funkiness, people.
2: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Grisette, I think I think ought to be a bit cleaner, and, and that term clean can mean many different things. But but I don't think that I think that the funkier grisette is, maybe the less grisettey that grisette is, and the more acidic a grisette is, the less grisettey that grisette is.
0: And then on the fermentation side. I mean, I know that you said, "Okay, get a good, clean ale yeast." But I mean, I'm I'm assuming we're not looking for, you know, those massive heat pushes that a lot of people put saison through, for instance. This is no. This is a much more just plain fermentation cycle.
2: Yeah, I think I think that's a I think that's a reasonable thing to do. I I tend to use the same yeasts that I would use for saison. I use that for grisette. Uh, when I look to some of my favorite Belgian brewers that are that know history and and are making beers that that they call Grisettes, like Yvonne Bates, he uses a similar yeast to what he uses for his beers, which I think are very Saison-like, uh, some of them. I think if you had a Saison yeast that you really liked and were happy with it, uh, I think using that for Grisette is totally appropriate. Maybe you'd push it a little bit less hard, as you, as you said, Drew. I think also, if you wanted to use yeast, uh, such as could be used for a Belgian ale, so maybe like uh, like Mall makes this this hoppy beer that's basically a Pilsner fermented with their ale yeast, I think I think that could work well as well. Something a bit more neutral, but yeah, I tend to I tend to personally use the same yeast I would use for Saison. I would use it for grisette and and maybe just try to rein it back a bit.
0: That's the that's the spectrum of the style. We got some of the history here. For, you know, before we wrap up, is there anything else that you think that people should know or think about grisette?
2: Uh, yeah. I guess um I think we covered the bases pretty well. I think uh you know I think people if people put grisette too much aligned with Saison. I think that maybe they'd be inclined to use a bunch of fruit or a bunch of spices and I don't I don't see anything to to suggest that those had ever been used in grisette uh, when grisette was being brewed so I don't think that um, I think the going for a spice heavy or fruit heavy grisettes makes it less grisetty uh, new world hops you know people could use those if they want obviously they're not traditional but I think as long as it's not like a belgian IPA you could do that uh, with the understanding that you know it's less grisette So I I got into this because I was interested in the history and I liked brewing, but but I'm not interested in recreating historical Grisette so much as I'm interested in in thinking about why Grisette was brewed like it was and applying those traits to my brewing to make beers that I like. If Grisette takes all these decisions like using malted wheat, using a lower hopping rate, using certain barleys over other barleys in order to make a beer that's faster turnaround, then maybe I could apply that to my brewing and maybe you could apply that to your brewing without without necessarily feeling like you had to call the beer Grisette. Grisette has a meaning,
0: uh, people. Respect it. Or <laughs> <That's> something. <right.
2: laughs> or something. Or a brew what you want, but maybe just don't call it Grisette.
0: Just take some lessons from this. It's a good style of beer, and, and it once again, it, it goes into that whole thing that you know Denny and I like to bang on, which is simple beer doesn't have to be boring beer. Session yeah. beers don't have to be boring beer. Oh, so absolutely. stop Stop being a boring brewer by making boring beers.
2: Yeah, man, to me, like a 1050 beer, that's a high-gravity beer, and and that's totally, like, that's the way my mind works. And then I go buy a beer at a bar, and I'm like, holy shit, what's going on here?
0: <laughs> what happened? I just had one yeah. of these, officer.
2: Yeah, pretty much. I'm like, yeah, if I look through my homebrew, it's, like, all beer between 3 and 5%, and that's, that's, like, all that I drink. And I'm like, man, I don't know what's going on with these high-gravity brewers brewing their pale ales.
0: That's what that's what some people like and, and I mean look I'm, I'll be the first person to tell you I, I make like a ten percent triple. it happens <laughs> and I'm not all about session beers, but I do love them.
2: Yeah, yeah, totally. I can handle that yeah
0: okay, well hey uh, Dave, thank you so much for taking some time and talking with us. Uh, we will obviously include a link to Dave's blogs and places that you can find talks and recipes and whatnot because it's the middle of summer. It's the perfect time for Grisette.
2: Oh, it's grisette time.
0: There you go, so go make a gray beer. Thank you everyone for joining us on another episode of The Brew Files. We hope that you did enjoy this exploration of grey beer, and its relationship to white beer, and its relationship to summertime, and to minors, and to Belgian history, and what is or isn't fake. Remember... If you have show ideas, styles, brewers, techniques, ingredients, etc., you can drop us a line at podcast at You can leave us a voicemail at 626 765 1ALE. You can reach us at Denny at experimentalbrew.com or Drew at com. You can find us on Twitter at expbrewing, on Instagram at experimentalbrewing, on Facebook also experimentalbrewing, on Reddit, on just about every homebrew form out there known to mankind and some only known to alien life forms and historical records. And don't forget that you can support the podcast by leaving us a review in iTunes. Click the Amazon, AHA, or BYO links on the website, and by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which for this part of the year, and this is the last episode I think we get to say this, is the San Gabriel Valley Humane Society. So just remember, give a buck. The dogs will appreciate it. So until next time, remember, the brew is out there.